Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch and welcome to OviCast, the Chocolate Sheep Podcast. Each episode will bring you insights, advice and technical updates for the sheep industry. In this episode, we're going to discuss outwintering on forage crops. I'm joined by Chocolate's advisor, James Dorn, and better farm participant, John Doyle. John is farming outside Balladagan in County Wexford. He's running a tillage and dry stock enterprise. John has been outwintering on forage crops on an annual basis for a long number of years. We start off with James explaining the potential yield of the different crops and how they fit into the system. James outlines key management tips when grazing these crops, especially to avoid digestive upsets and other potential health issues. He also highlights potential issues around clean livestock policy and what remedial actions can be taken. They're a very important crop in the southeast, Kieran, uh, particularly in the last number of years. Um, we've probably seen uh, a bit of a, a, a step away, if you like, from traditional root crops down here, maybe fodder beets and things like that, and, and farmers traditionally grazing uh, fodder beet tops uh, to maybe more brassicas, the likes of fodder rape and kale and, and hybrid type crops. Um, a lot of that, I suppose, being driven by by schemes in a certain, to a certain extent where, where loss schemes are are um, are requiring farmers to sow these crops, but also, you know, guys are putting them in there to carry a good number of sheep, be it uh, breeding yews or store lamb enterprises over uh, autumn and winter periods there, and, you know, are working quite well in, in a lot of cases. It's interesting that you come on that shift. Traditionally, that would have been a really strong area for root crops, and you have seen it gradually creep in more and more over the last number of years. You know, the change away to maybe be more of these brassicas, or certainly the hybrid brassicas, in over the last couple mm-hmm. of seasons yeah um absolutely um the hybrid brassicas seem to be quite good so typically they're what guys are putting in and it seems to safeguard um a reasonable yield as well are those you know you'll be familiar with product names like um uh red start and interval uh, which are kind of the most common place on the market there and they were basically a kale um rape hybrid and they seem to give quite a good yield uh, and tick the box there for, for guys that are sowing crops relatively early. James, that kind of leads us into the next bit of, and you, you've touched on a bit of already, the potential of these crops over the winter and for different types of animals, like obviously there's a lot of factors and it depends on the crop that goes in, but maybe you'll just give us a little bit of an insight in what kind of carrying capacities and the nutritional value of some of these crops are. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the early establishment of it as well, and you touched on it there yourself, is, is very, very important. Um, and we can might come back to that there later on as well. But the, that's a huge factor in terms of the carrying capacities because crops that are sown, I suppose, generally after winter cereals uh, in, say, early August time typically, or maybe into a, a lay field that's earmarked for reseeding the following year, which happens as well, uh, will give you, you know, a, a very good crop. Whereas something that's sown early to, to mid-September just to take a box for, for a scheme typically will be very, very poor in terms of capacities. But just some general ideas there in terms of what you could expect. I mean, an earlier sown crop, uh, we call that 1st of August, uh, is capable of, of growing about four or five tonnes of dry matter per hectare. So that's, I suppose, in a practical sense, that's something that's about hip height. And that should carry about 180 lambs per acre per week, store lambs are about 140 yos per acre per week. Um, so now, they, I suppose when we're doing our sums with farmers, we're working on the basis of 12% dry matter in those crops typically, and about 75% utilization. Uh, and the utilization figure can be higher, and quite often it can be lower depending on, on weather. Um, and I suppose, just a couple of other quick examples there as well. If you take that crop that's owned in around the 15th of August, 
generally speaking, that's going to hit around two or three tons of dry matter per hectare, which is somewhere just around knee height or just below the knee if you're walking the crop. Uh, that'll carry about 90 lambs, store lambs per acre per week, or maybe about 70 yos. And then I suppose the final example then is something that's on uh, for scheme purposes there on the 1st of September. Uh, you're you know looking at probably close to a ton of dry matter per hectare on that, if even. And that's going to, that's probably something that's up to your ankle height, I suppose, really, if you're trying to visualize it. And that's going to carry about 40 lambs per acre per week and maybe about 30 yos per acre per week. So the weather has a huge bearing on that, um, you know, in terms of utilization and in terms of tribe, obviously, but they're just some typical figures for you. I think that's what I'm going to come to you with you next. Like the challenge is, it's a crop you have to actively manage, but I suppose the first challenge, and you've touched on some of it there, the sowing date obviously has a huge impact on yield. And look, we can argue, certainly over the last couple of summers, we've had different problems crop up with it, but even the conditions that are prevailing during the time of sowing and establishment have a big impact. Like from your own perspective and from your clients in there, where does the big issue come in? Or maybe you just can allude to where the big issues come in for sowing date, the impact of it. Yeah, so I mean, the sowing date is huge. I mean, and literally every day you would see it in crops. Every day matters. You know, a crop that's sown on the first of September versus the the fifth of September, even you would see a difference in it. And and look, even more marked so in in those crops that are sown in August. So it's hugely important. Um, what we would have seen anecdotally this year as well is that crops that were sown in August, uh, in comparison to other years, their yields maybe not as good on them, and uh, maybe where similar amounts of nitrogen were put out, the crops seem to have more growing capacity this year, whether it was weather related or whatever, but the crop seemed to just run out of power and a lot of yellowing on leaves in some cases appearing there. So, you know, we'll, you'd find that kind of variation different years. I go back to 2018 when we had the drought year, there was a huge uh, spurt of growth, if you like, there later on in the back end of the year, and there seemed to be a massive release of nitrogen in the ground, and, and it seemed to carry a lot of those crops nearly without, with very little fertilizer. Uh, so there is that variation year in, year out, but the spawn date is huge uh, in terms of, of getting that crop initially there. And then I suppose the management from there then is 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 another problem. Um, you touched on that there as well. Yeah, and it's, um, it's, probably, it's probably the one James is in focus at the moment. Like, you know, your your yield is determined off by the spawn date. And that has a big impact on what you're going to do with the sheep for the rest of the year. But even at the moment, the utilisation of that crop and the prevailing weather conditions, certainly this winter, will have put that in the focus. That's going to have another big knock-on effect on how much you get out of it and the kind of performance on the crops as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there would be, uh, even in trial work there over the years, I mean, you can get in ferociously extreme scenarios, utilizations as low as, as 20 and 30%. Now, look, that could be for a period, a short period maybe or whatever, but um, you know you can see utilizations well below that seventy-five percent, and obviously that's going to knock your your carrying capacity or your days ahead of you. So, as well, you're trying to, to manage it as best you can. You're trying to allocate relatively small blocks at a time. I suppose that you know that sheep are not going to to walk a lot of this crop if the weather does get get very wet on you, uh, and trying to utilize it as best you can. So I would say. You know, you certainly wouldn't want to be allocating any more than a week's grazing ahead. And in an ideal world, you know, you're probably looking at two to three days per 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 shift, I suppose, on the on the wires. And I know that's extra work, but uh, in certainly in trickier weather scenarios, you will you will get the benefit from it. There's a bit of a balancing act there to get right. Like I'm just thinking, James, the other challenges with that crop, even you know, some of the health aspects, some of the cleanliness aspects that crop up with the various crops. 
what are you seeing on the ground? Yeah, so a couple of, of health management issues there. Um, those crops, uh, which are brassica-based, obviously typically contain goitrogens, which inhibit the uptake of iodine when sheep are grazing. So for longer keep stock, uh, store lambs that are going to be kept around until next spring, or yo lamb, or sorry, yos that are going to be breeding yos that are going to be there for a while as well, absolutely they will want to be treated with an iodine-based Products would be that a mineral bolus or maybe um, a bucket in the, plenty of access to buckets in the field or a dose or whatever. But that that is important certainly. Um, other aspects in management issues. Um, I'm just thinking like from the other thing and it, it ties in there with the utilization, particularly wet winter. And we're seeing a lot of store lambs come off these crops now, and it has bearing for use as well. It's the cleanliness of coming off the crops. You know the whole idea of getting belly clipped beforehand. Yeah. And trying to provide that dry lay. Absolutely. That's starting to become a huge issue now with the current weather that we're having. And there's more and more animals being presented into, um, into abattoirs now for slaughter that are, that are finding issue with the clean livestock policy and that. So it, it is a problem. Uh, and I suppose it's difficult for those farmers out there who are moving lambs for slaughter directly off those fodder crops um, to have them, you know, into a category that they can be killed straight away. So, you're trying to manage that as best you can. You're trying to ensure that maybe sheep have a dry spot to lie down, be that ideally in a grass lieback scenario, um, or maybe there's just a, a dry area in a that's eaten in the in the field first that they can lie back onto there. If you're doing supplementary feeding in the field, that look you're moving those trucks as regularly as possible to try and avoid uh, a buildup of of, um, of material there. And look, ideally, crutching or tagging lambs as well is the ideal scenario, but that's not always possible going into the crop, even if they can be done, you know, crutching um, and have them clean and avoid any kind of a, a major buildup of of dirty fleece as well. They're raising the crop. Just like when I talk about weather related issues, and this is really coming into focus over these crops because we are you're subject to it at all times of year from someone to actually use it. We haven't seen many frosty mornings, so we haven't this year so far, but we're certainly going to see them before we're finished with it. You know, the challenge of managing some of these crops in more adverse weather, um, it does require a little bit of a different skill set. It does, and it, it takes a little bit of a, of a step back maybe when you walk out that morning to, to move your wire and you see the crop is very visibly frosted over. Well, you know, it is dangerous, I suppose, to be feeding those kind of crops to animals at that stage. So I would suggest that just a very simple tool there is possibly a way to move the wire until maybe midday or after afternoon until the sun has come out, the crop is now defrosted, if you like, and then the animals can get going again. Like you have to remember these crops are highly palatable and highly digestible. So they will eat them and uh, and can get issues then with digestive upsets and acidosis. So, um, you know, while they're great crops and they're very, very high in energy um, and protein, you know, they tick a lot of boxes for tribe um, it's just to be very, very careful. And I suppose I should have mentioned that at the start as well, to be careful when you are initially letting the sheep into those crops that it's a gradual intake. I would always say to, to farmers and clients down here that it's nearly like letting sheep into a meal shed. You know, it's so, it's so palatable, it's so high in energy. So you're kind of letting them in slowly, slowly, letting them in two or three hours the first day, letting them back out, getting them adjusted. And over the period of the first three or four days, then they should be fine. The acclimatization period. It, it probably brings something else up, just James. Like having the backup plan there for if the crop starts to run out too early, or we do hit that really bad weather period, to be able to provide the backup forage or backup supplement, it's not always a case of 
this is just going to tick every box for us. Yeah, this is it, and I suppose that's what we're finding this year because of the weather, uh, and maybe those crops are not as good as what we would have liked. Um, you know that that we're not getting the same value out of them. So, yeah, I mean that requires supplementation. Then whether that's meal feeding um, or whether it's um, providing a fodder source uh, in the field as well to try and stretch that crop out for you. Um, and look, that has to be factored in, and how that works then, and you know, and is that easily done? Because you know. Uh, is there labour available to do that and are you, is, is it going to be handily done rather than, than trying to walk across fields with, with bags of meal and, and all of this kind of carry on so it's trying to make life easy as well as everything else but that has to be factored in absolutely and trying to, to stretch the crop to whatever your preferred sale date is yeah. and the practical aspects of actually delivering that at the time just to aim, like maybe to finally finish up and I know we're going to catch up with one of your clients John Dyle later on the podcast but the role of these crops in the area, like we see a little bit of sharing between livestock and tillage farmers, you know, it's working into rotations. And even in certain cases, you know, there's grass layers going back in for reseeds, being put in the crops uh, during the winter. It has an important function in that area. It does. Yeah, uh, it's it's huge. Like in that sense, it's it intertwines really well with um with a lot of the farms down here because they would have kind of a tillage enterprise already on the farm. So it, it kind of makes sense to be utilizing that ground and putting in the fodder crop there to, to avail that for, for the sheep for the, for the winter period. Uh, oftentimes a lot of farmers would work with a neighboring dairy or um, tillage farmer there as well to establish those crops for them. Um, and they're working together and those relationships have been built up there for the last number of years and are working quite well. So yeah, it's very important that way. It, it's also a help, I suppose, the dairy or the tillage farmers, I keep saying dairy farmers, these tillage farmers uh, also get, uh, I suppose, a, a kick on their yield as well in terms of the, the crop for the following year. So it, it, it suits their enterprise from that sense as well as building up organic matter in the in the soil and it's giving a, an extra nitrogen release there to those tillage crops the following year. Um, so yeah, look, it, it ticks a lot of boxes, absolutely. Very, it's mutually beneficial in most cases. James, it was great catching up with you. Thanks for coming on with us today. No problem, Kieran. So for the second half of this, we're going to swap over to John Doyle. And we start off with John, giving a bit of a description of the role of forage crops on his farm and how it has changed over the last number of years. We were always sowing beet here. And then when the beet went, we had nowhere to carry the oars during the winter time. We were so used to beet tops and we were spoiled, really. And then we just automatically we said we brought some turnips. So then the turnips were worked out well. They kept the oars out during the winter and they just come in two weeks pre lambing So it worked well, wood silage. Then uh, glass, glass come on the scene and we went sowing uh, forage crops in uh, July, August. July, August is kind of the right months. Late July, early August is probably the proper time. And... Uh, so we'd have we'd have the crops then coming on in, you know, from well on the glass crops wouldn't get to be eaten until December, but we'd have some extra stuff sowed on stubbles that would be left over after the glass, and we'd use those in the from the end of October onwards when the yards would be coming off the grass to let the grass grow for the next following year. So it worked very well because we had our own tillage own tillage, our own machines and stuff. And so the cost was only seed and some manures or so, but we were manuring our own land back again and kind of make, reaching up the land, I thought, with the sheep traveling on it, you know, anywhere you have sheep, you have manure the whole time. So 
little mini spinners, we call them down here. So it was it was helping the tillage system as well on the farm. Yeah, it would do. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. You were getting the glass money and you were carrying the yards through the winter and you were you were. But you need to get the the crops sowed in uh, end of July, first of August to get the yield. Um, on the years that we don't get sowed, like this year until end of August, first September, the yield halves. So you don't get as much value of it. Man, that's the year. You can't do nothing about that. Like so, you just you go with the year. Some years you win, like everything, and some years it's not so good. But on on the whole, like over over, you know, say a ten year period, it works out good. On this farm, anyway. It's it's just one of the challenges you mentioned. We're talking to James Doran earlier. Like that zone date for the crop is so vital. This year, John, you didn't get going in as early as you would have liked. No, the crop. Well, the weather stopped us from cutting the crop, and then the minute the corn was got, it was only grabbed. And you cut corn this evening, it rained for two days, the straw was on in the land for two weeks or a week and a half. So we had to get that off and get sowed. So it was almost September again, we got most of it sowed. The proper time is to sow it in winter barley, but we, we haven't sowed winter barley for the last few years. But if you get winter barley and you're cutting the 21st of July, um, then you're in the 25th of July. And again, the 25th of September, you have a crop growing, whereas where or the 25th of August, you have a crop growing, whereas this year we were only starting to cut or sow, you know, only starting to sow a month. So a month, a month in July and August is what, it's actually worth two months in September. You know, so that's, but you can't do anything about that. If you have winter crops, it works better. If you get the spring crops, sow it early, cut mid and early, and the weather suits you, it works great too. You can gain that extra bit of yield. Look, for this year, yeah. you, you have turnips in again this year. You have four drape in as well, have you? I have, yeah. I have turnips, uh, three acres of turnips in. Um, they work well this year. They're working well. A good crop. Some years you don't get a good crop of those either. There's different things, you know. And the youth are on it at the moment, are they, John? The turnips at the moment, yeah. yeah. The fire drape is all eaten because it wasn't wasn't as good this year. But, but it's... Um, it is what it is. You just know, you might have to put in the oats maybe three weeks or a month earlier, but we usually only put them in two weeks before lambing. But um, this year, they probably have to go in a few weeks earlier because the yield wasn't there, but maybe next year it'll be different. So that's the way it works. You have to manage what's in front of you. John, just take us through the actual management for a minute. Um, you're green after bait, and obviously you're transitioning them in on it with a run back on the first block or two. How often are you uh, moving the splits in that in the various crops, whether it be the turnips or the third rape? Well, sure, on, on the rape, at, at, which depends on the yield, but usually we give them three acres and uh, there'd be four days or something like that, or it could be six days, it depends on the yield. And we keep moving them and we put in, with the yaws especially, we put in silage just to make sure they had some, some, some silage with them and... Uh, mineral licks and water and just keep moving them when, when they'd have it eaten off. It's usually once a week anyway or five days or four days. Depends on the yield. But the turnips, you get longer out of the turnips because you have more yield in the turnips. You know, you could get a week and a half or depends on how much you give them but around the week we try to we try to keep them moving into new ground fairly often but we try to take the workload off, you know, not changing the wire too often. Like, you know, kind of Mixing that balance a bit between us. Yeah. Like yeah. you mentioned, just the other end of it, and I know you're in a wee bit earlier this year because of the yield, but 
you'd have probably went in quite close to lamb and transitioned them off that day. Like you're providing silage. Are you starting feeding the meal out on the crop as well? Oh yeah, the feed the fed meal as normal, like um, five 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 six weeks out from lamb and they'll be getting barley and uh say hulls and that's what we our mix was barley and say hulls and uh, then on you know three weeks out they'll be getting say bean and meal and then they'll be on a full mix. They'll be nearly getting their full core when they'll be going in at two weeks to be nothing changing, they'll be getting the barley nearly up to the full rate or the feed up to the full rate. And they'd be getting um, getting all the silage squeeze along with the turnips or 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 whatever it be, and it just automatically went to the house then, and they'd be still on the on the meal and the silage. The only change would be they'd be coming off the rape or the turnips, but it doesn't seem to matter. Two weeks out, two and a half weeks out, it works fine. We never have any problems anyway. You've, Some people say they get a bigger lamb, but. You don't really if you're feeding them meal at the right rates, and you don't, you don't, you don't really. So I don't see any difference. Never did. You've done kind of transition yeah. before they come in anyway. Oh yeah, you don't just drop every, you know, take them straight off turnips and put them on a feed that they're not used to. You know, you just have them kind of used to everything before they go in. So there's no change only the shed really. And just like you, you've grazed. I know last year you've had lambs on forage rape as well. Like you've used it a little bit for lambs over the last couple of years. I know your focus is mainly on the oats, but how's it worked out for you for the lambs in the back end of the year? Yeah, sure. It works good. Any year it's good. It's good, like you know. But we feed some meal with that as well, just to 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 finish them off. Like, but yeah, most of them would fatten them. Most of them would kill off it. There is the few you have to bring in and maybe put in the shed for six weeks, maybe, and feed them meal, but. The majority of them, eighty percent of them, finishes off on the rape anyway. So it works good, and it keeps them out, and it's less work with them. Just less John, foot problems. And... What, like, I'm thinking the wet conditions we have. I know in the sunny southeast, which you'll often tell me it's, it's the different conditions, but keeping them clean and managing that cleanliness coming in of a boat for the oars and the lambs. Any issues with that for you over the last couple of years? For the oars and the turnips, sometimes it can get quite mucky, you know, on turnips because the feed is plowed and tilled as normal. Like, but on a, on a coming off, you know, direct drilling into into tillage land, doesn't seem to get that mucky, you know. There is certain. It depends on the land, though. But if you're on high ground, you know, kind of shingly tillage ground that we have here, most of it is okay. The odd wet field, yeah, you will have some, but we never have any problems in the factory, really. We never, we, we often sell off the field, like, you know, we, if they were wet, if they were wet, like a wet time, you know, we, we might bring them in for a night or something like that before we sell them, but generally we don't have much, we don't have that much work with them, really. It, it has worked well, if you, and I suppose your key thing on that is the yield is very much determined by how quick you can get in sooner in the back end. The sowing there is, it's, it's, it's 90% of the, you know, the problem, like, if you get the sown date in, I noticed, we saw it rape here uh, one particular year, the 21st of July, and so we, we had over knee high, up to the waist nearly, in my case, up to my waist, <laughs> and uh, but I'm short, but up to the waist, you know, and whereas the next year then, or that particular year, we saw it more in, um, you know, end of August, you know, the 1st of September, and sure wouldn't be even up, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't get up halfway up your shins, you know, it wouldn't be 
I don't know, eight, ten inches. But, you know, that's the difference in three weeks' growth, like the three weeks at the right time. You know, there's, a, there's an awful difference, twice the difference, actually. John, always good getting your insights on these things. Thanks very much for joining me today. Pleasure. Thank you. Okay, we're going to have to finish things up at this point. Again, good catching up with both James and John, getting their views and experience on forage crops and the potential they have on farms. It was interesting to you know, get their insights on how the potential benefits are there for both the livestock and tillage enterprise on the farm, but clearly requires good levels of management. You know, John described it very in there again, impact sowing data and what the conditions can have on your potential crop yield. That's it for me. Again, for any other updates on the sheep programme, Keep an eye on our Twitter page at Chagra Sheep. I'm Karen Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and listen in to any of our podcasts.